0: This is Shock of Art Speak. Hey, welcome to Shaka Art Speak. We are recording live here from Current Art Fair 2019. I am always, as always, with my co-host Ryan Latorio. How are you? What's up,
1: Gareth? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing?
0: Uh, you know, pretty good. Not too yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We're in the second day of the fair. Yep. Which has been good. So we've had a good turnout here. We've really enjoyed everything that's been going on. So we are doing another one of those short episodes. Yeah. Are we? Yeah. Oh, no one told me that. Oh gosh, well, uh, just just tear up like three quarters of your notes then. Okay, I was prepared for the four hour talk, but we'll
1: we'll kick that off later. Well, we'll
0: do we'll just do part one of it. Okay, okay. so we'll do the yep. first thirty minutes or yep. so. And so uh, we've got another question, another question sent in by our fantastic folks. Uh, we got this one from uh, user Thomas Wise, and the question is: Is the environment in which artwork is presented more important than the work itself? Ooh, and I got a couple ways
1: I could go with that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah what do yeah, you yeah. think about that, Ryan? Well, so that's a. Um, if I could be phil- philosophical, that's an either-or dilemma. Okay. What? What? So be even more philosophical and let us know what that means. Okay, so it it says that the dilemma is that there's two choices. Either it's the space or... Because ask me the question again. Just say it one more time. It is. Is the environment of the work more important than the work itself? Okay, yeah. So it's like either the work is more important or the environment more important. And okay. so it forces it into that kind of either-or dilemma. And... um and so I would, so, which means that either that's a true dilemma or a false dilemma. Okay. So it's either true that that's really the dilemma. So like another example would be, either I stand on the train tracks and get run over or I don't, mm-hmm. you see? Yeah. So that would be a true dilemma. Right. Provided that a train's really coming and hitting you. I know it's like a silly example, but that, that's a true dilemma. Mm-hmm. Um, the dilemma of a false dilemma would be a situation where it's put forward as an either or when it's really possibly a both end, or there's a number of other kind of uh, opportunities that are also there that we're not accounting for. Yeah, you, like you, you could, could be standing like, on the train tracks, but there's no train around. There's no train around, yeah. yeah. So it's not really an either, either or dilemma in that gotcha. sense. So, um, and so, I mean, I think it's a great question though, because I think it gets at the heart of uh, the precarious nature of art. Mm, uh, so it, where there is a dilemma is in the concept of, of art speaking for itself. Ah. Okay, so if we think that art speaks for itself, then that says that context doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Laden within that is a fatal flaw, which is context doesn't matter. And so you get, obviously I love white cubes, but you get the white cube phenomenon, which is trying to be so removed so as to disguise its uh, supportive role in the art that speaks for itself. Okay. The facts are the arts. Are contingent upon those contexts, right? And so, the more regulated and normalized the white cube is, the more it becomes an assumption that allows the artist to, uh, in a general sense, I'm speaking in broad generalization, work at their work with mm-hmm. the assumption of the white cube. So, um, but the idea is the assumption is there without being stated. In, in some ways, you see what I'm saying. Yeah. Definitely. So, you know, the work, the work does speak, and it is contingent. It's mm-hmm. to both end. No, that
0: makes total sense. Right? Yeah, because it's, it's um, I don't know. It, it's interesting because I'm trying to I'm trying to think of times when uh, I've had this same sort of dilemma because I, I feel like this is something um, where you know it's another one of the things we're going to come at from two different ways mm-hmm. as a designer and a painter um, is that uh, I'm always thinking about context. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 almost never. I, I I cannot possibly think of when like the environment would separate from the work that I do.
1: Right, that's because right.
0: It's always being received within a space, within a context, within a relationship. Right. Um, so a question like this, I almost, I would have to start thinking about because I sure. feel like I've never really thought about that in that right. way because right. they've always been so interconnected. Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean the thing is, you know, so, so what I love about the question is it gets at the heart of what I would call fittedness. Mm. So the way things fit together to accomplish some goal uh, so uh, there's a fittedness to the white cube. The the phenomenon of white space uh, affords, uh, optimizes the visualization of the work or the primary um, emphasis of a given set of works or an exhibition or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so space and a wall are not neutral. They're effective. And they are either, the effects they produce are either conducive to and fitted for the work that's being displayed, or there's a compromise, or they're not optimal. They're working against the work. So the work is having to overcome certain non-neutral phenomena that hinder the ability to experience the work in the best possible way. So there's an, there's an optimal um, opportunity for, for you know, a given work of art or a given set of works of art. This is why curators work so hard to uh, put together comp- uh, compositions for shows and design spaces. You know, this is why we, why we work so hard, at that's why I work so hard at it. I mean, mm-hmm. that is yeah. like making a work of art in and of itself. But if it's done well, then that stuff disappears so that what you notice or what you're mostly engaged with is the work itself. So it's a both end. Mm-hmm. Yes, the environment matters, um, but it matters according to the intention of the work. So some work elastic enough that it can exist within a multitude of environments that uh, is elastic enough to adapt to uh, the changing effects of the environment around the work. And I think so. Um, I think it can it can draw out different different environments can draw out different implications within the same work, so that you can see it in entirely different ways, even though it's the exact same work and nothing intrinsic to the work has changed. Right. So so with this, if, if it's not this. Uh if
0: it's not this either-or that you're talking about, then uh, we would have to say that at some point there is going to be a type of hierarchy. It seems like correct or something. Will some be kind of primary a, in some order. instance. That's right. Some an order.
1: organizational order. So there might be a found. So, see, think, this is, so when we think about hi- hierarchies, I think we think in vertical categories. Right. We think top-down. Mm-hmm. But um, homes are uh, built on foundations, and the hierarchy of, of order is in some ways the, the first layer. Right. So everything else is resting on that. So there's a humility to the first layer. It's not seen, but it's actually doing all the lifting. No, definitely. And I was also going to say, uh, almost
0: like if you think of uh, like, like modular furniture or something, mm-hmm. like the hierarchy can change That's right. in these things. Because at times the, the environment yeah. might be more instrumental in what's going on. That's some, right. It, depending on the work you're doing and what's going on. Yeah. Um, and other times it, the work itself may just be kind of standing alone in a, an almost vacuum. Where sure. the environment fades away. Yeah. Um, but it also makes me think of... Uh, I I can't help but within this conversation, you're talking about fittedness and and overcoming certain things or dealing with and also dealing in conjunction with, um, you know, environment and and the work itself. I can't think of the love I have for comic books. Yep. The frame and how there's a a need for that to confine you, but also you have a need to overcome it entirely as the artist. Right. Um, And the the context of the flat page and the two dimensional world Mm -hmm.
1: and trying to tell a. a time-based story, sure. In a in a stationary medium. That's right. In the framing, you know, sometimes what happens is for some of us, we're odd observers, so we tend to, you know, grew up noticing the frame uh, yeah. in a way that maybe was inappropriate to the intentions of the book itself, mm-hmm. um, in terms of like what they would have desired from us. But then I d- developed a secondary appreciation for framing. Mm-hmm. So the way, the, uh, the look of the frame, the way things would break out of the frame, the way the frame would exist in a field. And then you start looking at frames and, I mean, entirely wedded to even my own personal interest in the, the paintings that I make. Right. So um, it's not to say that uh, things happen outside the bounds of what you might hope for as the artist, um, but uh, it's certainly there. And I guess the biggest thing I would say is there's intellectual neutrals. Like you can propose a neutral category, but in the physical world itself, effectively nothing is neutral. Uh, Everything is operating, which means there is um, fluctuating states of order and what sometimes what people would call chaos, which is to say that um, there's a disorderliness that is begging to be put to rights or brought into some kind of configuration that um, renders... Um, the stuff you're configuring into um, either a, a flourished state, which if it's flourishing, then you, by proximity, are flourishing too. So think of a house; you know, the weeds are overrun. Uh, that starts to feel um, uh, unruly and out of out of our out of our abilities, and we start yeah. to uh, behave differently. Uh, people avoid homes; you don't go outside. Like all of a sudden, it becomes uninhabitable. Mm-hmm. And so, if you think in terms of uh, art making, is uh, rendering a space optimally habitable for the enrichment of the individuals that are present within it, that becomes an ongoing uh, relationship towards fittedness. How, yeah. do these things, how do these things fit together in a way that everything sings like a chorus? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you get into a gallery context, like we're at an art fair, you know, there's some, there's some uh, hurdles to overcome in an art fair because the intent of an art fair is to bring all these uh, galleries together under one roof mm-hmm. so you can see mm-hmm. more work Uh, in one day than you could if you're driving around the city or the state and so that's the goal that goal helps to organize our relationship to what is not optimal for a given work of art Mm -hmm. you see what I'm saying like that holds the weight so that way when we're hanging the work up you know for instance our booth has a little more of a salon style approach and many galleries do but if you come into Chaco Art Space you're not going to see salon exhibitions Right? you see what I'm saying because that's just not not where I'm at as a curator Uh, but there's what's necessary given the particular context. So I think the intellectual framework in this, the, in relationship to affair overcomes to a point the phenomenological effects that are there that are making certain works, maybe not seeing as loudly as they would if they were uh, in, a, in a more fitted and conducive environment. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, with... Uh,
0: I mean, I'm thinking about it like now, like, so with that, we've got this kind of uh, a different understanding of like uh, environment and primary kind of how things work in some places versus mm-hmm. others. Um, so how does this actually start to then enter into the making process itself? Mm-hmm. Because I, I can imagine that some of the, the impetus behind this question, maybe not from this, this person, but uh, when it's been asked another time, sure. might be, how do I
1: actually account for an environment right. I don't know that will exist? That, no, I think that's a great question. So I think you make calculations, but I also think you have to, this is, I, I, don't, I don't know another way to say it, but I think artists need to be better, uh, uh, to, I don't know if better is the right word. I think there's plenty of great observers. I mean, I think artists are very observant people, but I think the temptation is to neglect the value of <laughs> observing everywhere you're at, visually okay. taking it in. So that way you're permeated by... Uh, uh, experiences of spaces such that you have an intuitive feel for anticipating a kind of space that your work might exist within. Yeah, because I think the yeah. you know, temptation
0: would be to make something that's like so kind of blase and vanilla that it could just sure. go into any space and that's it wouldn't right. matter. Yeah. But I don't think that's, that's, that's not what people are wanting to
1: do. Yeah, I mean, some people do that. Just, they, they, they work very commercially. And uh, I mean, that's certainly not what we champion in uh, in, in the mission of Shaco Art Space. Mm -hmm. Now I'm fine with someone finding their, their place in the world that way. But I think, uh, the best art is specific and, and, um, it's tough enough to deal with a myriad of given Mm contexts. And I think, I think that requires great specific. So here's the thing, great specificity in a work, whether minimal or maximal, will impose a kind of an effect back onto the context. Mm-hmm. So, like, works of art can actually change the fill of a space dramatically. That's where I was just about to go, I was gonna say, um, you know, and, and also I think that, you know, uh, exquisite making mm-hmm. uh,
0: that has, like, um, you know, thought and, um, you know, some, for however you take the term, some form of intention behind sure. it, right? Yep. Um, exquisite making is going to, um, maybe overpower is too strong of a word, but right. it will, right, right. It will. it will render the
1: environment Maybe less
0: important than you Yeah, might it'll think. reorder it. You right. see what I'm
1: saying? It's like a, it's like a composition. So just think mm-hmm. in terms of composition. If you think in terms of dynamism and composition and musicality, uh, there's different arrangements that afford different instruments to take a back seat. The, the, the instrument taking a back seat is not devalued, it's just playing a different role according to the song that's being constructed. Yeah. So if you think about the world in musical terms, composing spaces, mm-hmm. existing within those spaces, um, there, there's there's uh, there's something helpful about the re- in a relationship of things and thinking about music uh, as a proxy for what we're talking about in physical terms.
0: No, I think that makes total sense because I, I you know as you were saying that I was thinking of like uh, uh, let's say like uh, highly experimental stuff from like sixties mm-hmm. and seventies like sure. John Cage and people yep. like that who were composing you know uh, symphonies for the particular acoustics of a space that's right for like one listener in yeah. one seat at a certain time of day at a certain time yeah. of year with a certain temperature right sure. so it could only be listened to in a certain thing mm-hmm. and so the environment there was um, honestly maybe the work of art at the time that's right, right. um yeah. you know the 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 context which is an interesting listening.
1: investigation and a worthy someone needs to do that oh it definitely is yeah 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 but then you also think of uh something like if
0: you've ever gone to hear a fantastic uh symphony or if you go to a concert sure you hear uh you know amazing piece of music You here live and you say it's an amazing show it's yep. so good yep. but you don't have a problem listening to it on your headphones no you don't have a problem no. in your car that's right you know it does like uh, a, a work that is both uh done well mm-hmm. and enjoyed well mm-hmm. um will not need as much uh it will not take as much from the environment in terms of support as Correct. i think we think yep the
1: um, no, concert halls are, are incredible thoughts because there's a craft maker anticipation no, concert halls anticipate musicality of a, of, a, of a range and the concert halls are imbibed with the music or you know they, they kind of enflesh the music they become the body for the music um, so there's a correspondence, there's a fittedness there. And so when a concert hall works well, it really anticipates the best that we can bring to bear in terms of music. Yeah. So I think that there's uh, museums and galleries that do the same thing, and then there's, there's all of us struggling to, to make it better for that. That requires a depth of knowledge. Like, like again, it comes back to like how much are you in contact with the world in ways that a lot like like when you look at the natural world, if you will, there's a fittedness of the way things relate to each other. So it just makes sense. Uh, most all of it makes sense. That we seek to make sense of it says it's because it continuously makes sense. Yeah. So we live in a sensible world mm-hmm. that makes sense. And so then when we make in relationship to the natural world and with it, uh, we're continuing the inquiry of making sense. You know, we're, we're we're making things and then seeing how they they come together, and what they render as a meaning and effect and experience on whomever. So, um, so I mean, I always like to tell my students like looking is free. Yeah, that's You know true. I yeah. mean, you, you as long as your eyes work, which mine are wearing glasses, but as long as they work, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's the sensory component that you're working with. Like that, you can look around. The question is, do you value? looking at things that are not directly calling for your attention, mm-hmm. then you start to notice the world's far more compelling, and then that makes you anticipate spaces and what your work can do. You see what I'm saying? It, yeah, I I'd,
0: I'd talk about this, I come it from a slightly different angle coming from like creative practice uh, in, in my classes, but we talk about um, how easy it is to lose curiosity sure. and how hard it is to get it back. Yep. Because curiosity is something that uh, does go into the granular That's right. Um, And it is difficult to get to the granular when you've been floating just on top of the shallowness.
1: Yeah, I say that. I mean, I think in the same way you're saying, I I talk about curiosity a lot, and I talk about enchantment. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm often talking about how we need to be re-enchanted with the world that we are disenchanted with. Yeah. So re-enchantment and curiosity... Um, gets you to a place where you're seeing more possibility in spaces and environments than you otherwise would because you've assumed too heavily the white cube. Yeah, we, we've made,
0: I think we make a lot of things very mundane. I mean, the yes. fact that we're, we're now sitting in two chairs, yeah. feeling like we're sitting still, on a giant ball of gas and rock that's, that's right. spinning at eighty-six thousand miles an yeah. hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. So if Mach that's, eighty, dude. Yeah, if that's the reality of yeah. us right now. Yeah. Uh, then maybe we should look at a few other things. If that's like what we think. That's it, right. That's how. We yeah, understand. I always tell my students
1: we're we're, we're hurling throughout outer space going Mach eighty and we're bored. <laughs> that's an. Ins- we're on a spaceship right now. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, we're on a rock mm-hmm. that's moving us through time and space. It's it's amazing. Not to get too meta but it's worth thinking about like it's like but it also uh, i mean, if that's the foundational context for how we actually move through
0: our day then yeah
1: you know maybe it's worth sitting down for a minute and taking a look at something that's right stop and look and i think that that kind of eye feed eye nourishment uh, a nourished person will make more nourishing work mm, yeah i like i like that i like that, that and that work will spill over and nourish the environment around it that's the generative thing we talk about yeah and
0: that i mean yeah what well, so there's there's one other aspect of this mm-hmm. question I think I'd like to come at and it and again it may not be the way that, that Thomas Wise is uh, kind of kind of hinting at but sure um, but what I think about is uh, coming as like, at, at the beginning of my career as a student but well, what if but what if the environments where I might be able to show my work or mm-hmm. you know, the clients I'm working with or whatever what if those environments are actually kind of constricting and that my is work question. is not like not for doesn't that. really fit those yep.
1: spaces yep no I think that's a great question and I think uh, you you weigh the cost Mm -hmm. and you have to have long so I think long view helps you to weigh the cost and relate your goals so see with no goals you're living in the moment too much that's the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem is is living so short sightedly in the moment that everything is pressurized, and you feel like you're either going to gain your life or lose it in an instant. Yeah. And it, and I think life is bigger than that. So you need to unpack the accordion. You need to expand it out, and go. Okay, where am I headed? And how does the positives and negatives correspond with where I'm headed? And how do those oppor- How does those, how can I see these as leverageable opportunities? So yeah, like when I'm, you know, you're in a certain place, you're like, I'll deal with. Those conditions, mm-hmm. because I know that this is going to be a step towards, you know, everything else, right? So, so I mean, but if you don't have any vision, then you can't actually. We, can get, we I think this is something we talk about more in the episode. But if you don't have that vision, then you can't actually. T- you can't make that decision because what do you base it on? Yeah. You base it on gut, gut, your gut. You base it on. Uh, how, how good do you feel? Mm-hmm. I mean, those are short sighted things. Like, my gut betrays me 24 7. Yeah. My yeah. feelings lie to me 24 7. Mm-hmm. So, you got to have vision and you've got to have a plan that extends beyond the moment so that you can reference. It's like traveling, you know, like if I'm traveling to California and I'm driving, uh, that is the destination. And if I have a time frame, then I that constrains how far I veer off path. Mm-hmm. Can I stop at a gas station? Yes. Can I? but can I go uh, you know, up to Michigan? No, I'm not gonna do that, comes yeah. from because re- that's too far out- off path unless I've got the time and the space. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a correspondent value. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. So, so I think that uh, each case in that sense is related to what you're trying to accomplish. What do you hope for? What do you wanna see happen? Do you need some validated experiences early in your career as a designer, doing some logos and some things that otherwise are not primarily what you wanna do? But you need some resume build, and you need yeah. some experience in the Collins Well, then you got to take that. You know, if you haven't exhibited art before in a small upstart space, it's got two clean walls. Uh, uh, that might not be the worst thing in the world to do. It's just to take that, take that exhibition and make it happen. You see what I'm saying? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. and it's a. Uh, I mean,
0: I don't, and you know, and speaking like kind of thing as a designer on this, the uh, the thing I think also when I think about environment and the work itself is. Um, You know, I hear from a lot of young designers, like, this is not the work I want to do, like you're talking about. You know, like, I don't want to do this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, that can become short-sighted as well, like where you're doing the work and the work you're doing. But there's also, what are you getting out of those experiences? of the work and the environment it's in that are actually improving the future, um, and I hate to use this word because I know how it's taken, but the future marketability of your skills yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or the future um, depth of your skills. Sure. Right? Like, how does this thing help you grow? Because if you look back, especially within the, the, the spirit of, of graphic design in the United States and uh, you know, Western Europe one thing we've seen is we've seen a lot of folks who were kind of doing work over and over and over again. Sure. And by the end of their career, they were making this like, uh, like genre defining work because of all the time that they had done so much beforehand. That's right. That made it just like second nature to do it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big part of it as well. Um, so I think, um, you know, within this whole conversation of, uh, environment and, um, work itself, is there anything else you think like it's kind of, we've, I think any, any direction I think we, we haven't really hit this question from. I mean,
1: I'm sure there is, but I, th- I can't think of it right now. I think that I think there's a decent amount to unpack in this. And I think it's, you know, as my wheels turn, I feel like I'm glad that, you know, Thomas asked the question. I think, uh, you know, I think it's something we can come back to. I think, because I think you can talk about place making and environment building. And, yeah, because uh, I think, I mean, that is one place, like, especially if we get into things like...
0: Uh, even like public art and yeah, things like that like right. there's a lot of things and even going back to our conversation with Ian about yeah. uh, murals and sure. things like that yeah. like there's a lot about environment because i know that one of the biggest kind of through lines in discussion is you know groups of people in cities just say i don't like this sure
1: you know yeah, and, yeah, yeah.
0: and it's their environment as well and how do that's you create right. do you for create? Yeah, yeah, you know environments that are
1: shared right. and also uh, some things are uh, how do you create space which uh, so time is accidental to a conscious mind and uh, bodies moving in motion and points of reference and, you know, space, right? And so how do you create space, therefore time, space-time for someone to come around on something? So some people just don't like things on the at a gut level because it's too specific and they haven't encountered it before. And then they, then they acquaint themselves with it and their minds change. Mm-hmm. So you also got to anticipate uh, that kind of reality from people that we're fickle, you know, and we don't, we change our minds. We don't, mm-hmm. a lot of things I love in the beginning, I hate later and vice versa. So, you know, there's a lot there's a lot there that we could still contend with you see what i'm saying um, yeah cuz we haven't even really gotten into some of the sure. kind of
0: like the foundational ideas and the stuff that we're talking about that deal right. with like even the like mid 20th century discussions sure. about the frame and the importance yep. of it. That's like right. Going into some philosophical yep. places That's right. where we can talk about like how, where does work end and where does work begin, yep. end rather, you know, right. where, how do we, how do we put this together? And then how do we understand those thresholds? That's Those right. liminal spaces in between yep. where this is. Yeah. And, and, and Liminality. There's so much stuff there that we just can really uh yeah we can really unpack more so i think this is kind of a good teaser for a future sure. episode so hey thomas wise thank, you, thank so you so much, much for thomas. sending your stuff and in it's push fantastic. back if you got
1: questions if we didn't understand the question well we're we'd love to dialogue more so thank you for that yeah because always like like Ryan and i are doing uh this is a conversation not
0: just between us but between y'all as well so yeah. please uh let us and it's know a starter
1: more than you. a stopper is what our hope is
0: always yeah always so um hey we've got a few more of these in the can where we'll yep. we uh, uh bring the y'all keep checking the next out a few weeks so thanks for it. Uh, and uh, Ryan, you got anything else before we go?
1: No, let's sell some art. Let's
0: do this. All right, folks. Thank, thank you y'all so much. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottom.